you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Right now on Fast, a stunning reversal of fortune from a Fed-fueled rally to a rate surge sell-off. The NASDAQ getting just hammered today, suffering its biggest one-day fall since June of 2020. Tonight, we are going to go inside the numbers, inside the markets, and ask, where do we go from here? Plus, from tech's pain to oil's gain, crude still climbing, and some believe prices are heading higher, maybe much higher. We'll speak with the top energy analyst to help us navigate the commodity complex. And later on, building a watch list. We'll ask our traders to give us one name at the right price. That could be a buy. Hi, good evening or good afternoon, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan in for Melissa tonight. This is Fast Money. And on your desk, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinemann, Bono and Iasen, and Guy Adami. All right, first, let's begin now with the sell-off on the street. The major average doing a major about-face all from yesterday's Fed-fueled rally. The S&P 500 dropping 3.5%. The Dow down more than 1,000 points. But once again, big tech taking the biggest hit. The NASDAQ tanking 5%, closing at its lowest level since November of 2020. Effectively wiping out a year and a half of gains for all you investors out there. The big names you know getting hammered. Look at this. Amazon down 7.5%. Apple 5.5%. Google down just under 5 and Microsoft down about 4 Folks, that is hundreds of billions in market value wiped out. But it wasn't just them. Other well-known stocks slammed as well. Even harder, Wayfair losing one-fourth of its value today. Etsy down 17%, eBay 13 And then two more, Netflix and Tesla down 7 and 8%. And remember how much we've talked about how important Tesla is to the entire market because of all the options and derivatives that are tied to its equity. Now, all of this happening as rates roared higher. The 10-year yield above 3%, and now most mortgages are above 5.2%. So that's what happened today. The question now is where do we go from here? And last night, I know many of the traders on the desk were not buying the rally, but let's talk about today. Guy, there's a lot of blame going around. In your mind, is there one thing, one reason why we're seeing today's big swing? Well, I think people come to the conclusion, realization that the Fed is no longer underwriting the market, number one. Um, you know, the unwind of the balance sheet's probably not going to be particularly pleasant. And I think it's just trying to figure out what's the right multiple given the earnings for the S&P 500. And it's like we haven't run from this. We've been pretty steadfast. You know, a 17 multiple in this environment for the S&P is not unreasonable. $220 worth of earnings is not unreasonable. And that gets you to this 3750 level that I've been putting out there for a while. I think we get there. I don't think that's catastrophic. I actually think that's extraordinarily constructive, but I think getting there obviously is somewhat painful. 3750, guy. I mean, so you're looking at maybe another 400 points coming off the top. Tim Seymour, do you agree with that? Are you maybe as negative or as bearish as Guy is? Well, I, I would just tend to, to look at it, the, the, the 220 to 230, and I think we're probably consensus is around 225. 
uh, hasn't come down at all. What's come down is what we're willing to pay for stocks. That's what has me concerned. I don't think you've seen, you know, EPS estimates have actually gone a little bit higher as the year's worn on. Is that really what we're going to see as we get into the second half of the year? The first quarter's been fine. Uh, we have the numbers on, you know, 80% of the S&P at this point, and, and they beat. But that has me concerned. I, I think as I look at today, uh, it wasn't even just about technology. Yes, NASDAQ, again, underperforms the S&P. But look at consumer discretionary, which was down almost 7%. Look at auto auto parts down uh, close to eight. And, and then couple that with some of the things that we saw on the macro. We got labor productivity, which was the worst we've seen in, uh, I think, 47 years or something. I think it was since 1947. Uh, but then the labor costs that are buried within those numbers up seven and a half percent. Mark Zandi's going to come on and talk about the mm-hmm. payroll and the labor numbers and what, what's going on there. But I, I, I think you have a couple things going on. I think it's the consumer at some point catches up to the Fed. And, and again, let's not forget what happened with rates today, uh, an enormous day for the 10-year, as at one point was up 18 basis points before pulling back a bit. But um, tough day on rates. Yeah, it is. And Karen, let's follow up on what Tim was saying, because I think he's making a very important point. If you dig inside the market, let the market tell the story. Consumer discretionary was the hardest hit. Mm -hmm. And we know the economic data around the consumer has been strong. The problem is it's backward looking. Is the market today and this year saying to you that Second half of this year, early next year, the consumer is going to take a hit and company earnings are going to take a hit. Yeah, I do think the market's saying that. I don't know if the market's saying that louder than what will actually be the case. But the more the market says it, the worse that is for sort of for consumer sentiment, even if balance sheets are fine for the consumer. You know, to the extent the consumer has money invested in the stock market, clearly that's not a good thing. But what I thought was really interesting today, though, even though the, the, the amount of the move versus yesterday was similar range, this just felt very, very different. It was just absolutely across the board. There was nowhere yeah. to hide and nowhere to hide. So that was interesting. I'm surprised the VIX actually didn't get up even a little bit higher because it started to see it feel a little panicky to me. So when I look and see things trading just down in integers at a time, you know, that really makes me think people just they just want out at any price. And as painful as that is for me, from my portfolio, I think it does set us up well. Is this the bottom? Who knows? Yeah. You never know till after. But um, Things are a lot more attractive today than yesterday. What really happened to change it? I don't know. But we all yesterday thought that rally was sort of misguided. Yeah, I wonder, Bonwin, are they more attractive today? I understand you want to buy low, sell high. Prices came down. But but that would imply that valuations remain effectively the same. But if earnings come down faster than the market, then I is the market sort of, quote, on sale? Do, do prices look reasonable to you now, given... We don't know what earnings are going to come down in the next few quarters. Reasonable. That's a key word. And that's a that's a tough one. You know, I'll give <laughs> you another one. How about word. relative? <laughs> I, I coughed out. <laughs> I think I, I definitely think things look better on a relative basis. On an absolute basis, I mean, I don't have a crystal ball. I still tend to think that the trend is still down to the right. We're going to have these violent rallies. The VIX is telling you as much. Um, and, and you mentioned corporate earnings. I think Guy, Tim, Karen, you've all mentioned corporate earnings. Yeah, and I think it's going to be you know, a combination yeah. of multiple compression and earnings revisions. So those are two levers that you have there that lead us lower. T- 
top end inflation and then the uncertainty around the consumer. Yeah, we've looked back. You said backward looking. That's exactly what it is. They've held up well so far. They've held up well through COVID with a government that was infusing the market with liquidity, infusing the consumer with the liquidity. All of that is being taken away as rates are being ratcheted up. I don't really think that stacks up well. Yeah, and you know, Guy, Ray Dalio put out a piece about bubbles, and he wasn't really saying this was a big bubble. He was comparing it to 20s and 1970s, and he said that a bubble in the market has a few of these things, high prices relative to traditional measures of value, unsustainable conditions, i.e. the Fed, many new and naive buyers, broad bullish sentiment, and a lot of purchases being financed by debt. To that last point, don't want to speculate, but did it feel like to you that some people on the street of dreams, big firms, might have gotten blown up a bit, margin calls, forced selling to raise money? Specifically today, it didn't feel that way to me. I'm sure it did happen, but we've seen it all along. I mean, it happened, hey, look back what happened in the nickel market. I mean, we're littered with situations that speak to exactly that. And maybe we'll find out that some people are, some institutions are getting blown out. That typically is when you get towards the end of something, not the beginning. And I think maybe we're on the precipice. I'll say this, though, to Karen's point about volatility, I think she's spot on. If you want to take one silver lining, maybe the fact that the VIX didn't go up more precipitously than it did. And quite frankly, today, I thought the VIX would be north of 35. Easily, it wasn't. I mean, maybe people are positioned for exactly this, and that's why you see somewhat of a dampening. But again, it does come down to earnings, what you're willing to pay for them, and what you're willing to pay for them in a higher rate environment. And the one thing I took from today, the fact that you didn't see a relief rally or a flight to quality in the form of the bond market is troubling. And I'll say it again, bond market's flat out broken. You can at me on Twitter if you want, but it is broken all around the entire curve. Ten-year yields should not move 15 basis points in the course of a few hours. It just shouldn't happen. Yeah, and it feels like, Tim, that there was a bit of a liquidity issue in the bond market or has been. It's, it's not a monetary issue. It's a liquidity issue. And that's why I think to Guy's point, we're getting these big swings in bonds, which do you think that's similar to why we're getting these? By the way, both to the upside and to the downside. Thousand point moves are a sign of maybe a broken market all around. Well, the mortgage rates at 5.27 and where we're seeing credit markets, they're starting to get worse, right? So mortgage rates are at 2009 levels. And if you think about affordability in the housing market, let's be very clear. The Fed probably loves this. Um, they don't love lack of affordability, but they certainly like to slow down the housing market that, that they are the, the number one reason why it was goosed higher. When I look at credit spreads, we talk about it all the time. We're not telling you there's a major credit, uh, you know, surge here and and that there's actually a credit crunch per se but look at high yield which started the year somewhere in the low threes is now at 410 it's not at the highs of the years but just off look at corporate credit um these these are big moves um on a small term basis they're not big in the big picture of where um things would get very ugly but i think credit is a concern you talk about the long end of the u.s treasury curve fed has no control over that they're controlling the short end the dynamics both in terms of uh the runoff and the balance yeah. sheet dynamics they talked about yesterday Yesterday, uh, you've got to get uh, other buyers in there other than the Federal Reserve. The Japanese have stopped buying. I think this is a problem. Yeah, it feels like the bond market, if it's a super tanker, is broken loose, right, from the dock and is just kind of doing its own thing. Bonowin, you've got always other things as well. These leveraged ETFs, you know, two times up this, two times down this, using leverage, using debt, using margin, whatever it is. Do you think that these are, and I'm not blaming one part of the market, but are they contributing 
to some of this volatility that we're seeing? Oh, without a doubt, they're contributing to the volatility. I think they're also contributing to capital um, erosion, right? So like we talk about where, where did we see flight to and it wasn't quality. What we saw flight to were names like Dust and SQQQ and Yang and SOXS. These are all inverse or levered inverse ETFs. And I haven't been around that long, around 20 years. I, I know it's probably 40 for you, but I, I've been around long enough to remember XIV. And that thing used to make money hand over fist, right? You'd short the VIX, these things were highly profitable, it was a way for you to lever up your portfolio, and you saw that thing sunset precipitously. So I would caution the retail investor to probably proceed with caution or steer clear altogether when it comes to these levered ETFs. You know, you, yeah. you have days like today where you get a pop in volatility, a real rush to the downside, but over the long term, these things tend to be capitally I think it's incredibly important advice that you're giving, Bonwin, because certainly a lot of people coming into the market right when the pandemic hit, stimulus checks, market then pretty much just going up, up, up. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, are learning some very painful lessons in the last couple of months here that probably nobody expected. All right, so where are we going? Well, your next guest warns the market may not still have priced in the economic slowdown that could come. That could mean more days like this one. Mark Zandi is the chief economist at Moody's Analytics and joins us now. And Mark, you're kind of a consumer specialist. You heard us talking about the consumer, what the stock market is saying is that the consumer may be in trouble. Do you agree with that? No, not in trouble, uh, Brian. I, I mean, the fundamentals for the consumer are good. You know, lots of jobs, low unemployment, leverage is low. They've locked now, in these but the market's a discounting mechanism for the future. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they may be discounting slower consumer spending growth, right? So the consumer's been on a tear and buying lots of everything, and uh, that's been powering economic growth. and. We do need to see the economy's growth rate slow. That's the Federal Reserve's objective here. And uh, the key channel through which that happens is through consumer spending. And so we need to see consumer spending growth slow. And I'm sure the markets are discounting at least that. I don't think they're discounting the consumer pulling back because that would mean recession. I don't think that's what the markets are saying, at least not yet. Do you see a recession in the next 12 to 18 months, Mark? Because if you do, even a small one, we had a negative GDP print. We need to technically... If we, but that was weird because of the government spending and stuff. You know. If we have one in the next 12 to 18 months, is the stock market then acting rationally, to quote Bonowin? Well, I, you know, I think the, the economy is going to avoid recession. If it's going to be, you know, close call, I mean, I think probabilities of recession are awfully high over the next 12 to 24 months. You know, with inflation as high as it is and the Fed trying to calibrate things in this very difficult environment, you've got two major supply shocks out there still hurt, hurting the global economy, the pandemic and the Russian invasion. So, Recession risks are, are you know, awfully high here, but I think we'll, we'll we'll be able to navigate through. I don't think the stock market at this point is saying recession. I don't think that's what it's saying. It's saying, hey, look, you know, interest rates are normalizing. They're going up. We've got to adjust to that. And we, we need a slower growing economy. And by the way, profit margins, which have been extraordinarily high. In fact, if you go back, look at the data, margins are as high as they've ever been in the data we've got back to World War II. Hard to imagine that they're going to continue to move higher. So you add that all up. Stock prices have to go lower, but I don't think it's adding up to a recession, at least not at this point in time. 
Hey, Markets, Tim, we got some labor numbers today, productivity down. A lot of that's COVID-related, fresh lockdowns. But the, the labor costs are the problems here, I think. And, and I'd love to get your view uh, as we get into a big payroll number tomorrow. You've been doing this forever. What would be the best number for the market? So put your fast money trader on. But tell me about the, the tightness in the labor market and that component of inflation that's really putting a lot of pressure on the Fed. Yeah, I think the best number, Tim, tomorrow would be something like around 350,000 jobs created during the month, because that would so show that the growth rate in the labor market is starting to slow. Because we've been at you know 500K per month on average for more than a year. And obviously, that's really fast. Unemployment's been coming in very rapidly, and unemployment's already very low. So we need to see a step down in growth. And that would help calm the nerves in the bond market. You know, you're talking about bond yields. It was an incredibly bad day in the, in the, in the bond market. And so this might take a little bit of, uh, of concern out of uh, out of uh, bond investors. So some step down in growth, I think, would be would be encouraging. If we got a really hot number, you know, something yeah. north of 500k, I think that'd be a problem. Something south of 350k, low, I, I think the market probably would say that's you know, probably measurement issue, seasonals, which are going to affect the numbers anyway. But something around 350k, stable unemployment rate, I think that would be. Uh, just uh, be, the markets would enjoy that. I think they would find that uh, very productive. That certainly would be the Goldilocks scenario, and we're going to find out certainly if we get it, because this is a Fed that is threading a needle economically, certainly. Mark Sandy, we can agree on that. Have a great day. Thank you very much. All right. Yeah. You know, Karen, not to get wonky and weird, but at the end of the day, a stock price is simply the measure of the cash available after operating expenses and debt service. And then you sort of divvy that up and give it amongst the shareholders. I'm being overly simplistic. But I think Mark made a good point that if you think earnings have peaked, what else is there to look forward to? And I think maybe the market is telling us that story. I guess, although I think all stocks are not the same, right? So I think there are some where earnings have peaked. And I certainly think the ones who are, you know, pandemic beneficiaries, those earnings may have peaked. Certainly those multiples have peaked. But there are some that have just been thrown out with the bathwater. And I think that even if those companies don't grow earnings, that the valuation, the generation of cash flow will just make it too attractive. Something like a CVS, uh, companies like that, um, that are, you know, kind of boring, not sexy, weren't uh, high flyers at any point, but just deliver. And so I think that those sort of, you know, pedestrian kind of names are a good place to hide. Karen, thank you very much. All right, we're going to get much more from everybody coming up after this short break. But And by the way, there will be a special report of today's sell-off tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern time tonight. It is Markets in Turmoil. It's right here on CNBC, and I'll be here with you, 8 p.m. All right, coming up, more on the fallout from today's brutal sell-off. All three major indexes deep in the red. The Dow down more than 1,000 points, but oil held up pretty well today, considering. We're going to dig into the energy space to see why it's bucking the trend and where it is going ahead. Oh, by the way, earnings breaking as well. Shares of Shake Shack and Block on the move after reporting their numbers. We'll bring them to you and the stock reaction when Fast Money returns right after this. Don't you dare go anywhere. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. 
What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Hi, and welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. We've got an earnings alert on Shake Shack shares. They are headed higher in the aftermarket, even as the burger and chicken chain continues to lose money. Let's get out of Kate Rogers with more from the numbers and the call. Kate. Hey, Brian. Well, as you mentioned, it's been a mixed quarter here for, for Shaq, and that stock's been bouncing around after hours. Loss per share of 19 cents. That's three cents better than the loss of 22 cents that analysts were expecting. Revenue's coming in at $203 million for the quarter. That's also slightly ahead of the $200.6 million projected. Same store sales, though, slightly lower than anticipated at up 10.3% in the quarter. Guidance also a bit lighter than expected for Q2 revenue. Shaq's had about 40% in the last six months. Closed lower by about 6% today. Also hit a new 52-week low. And on the call, CEO Randy Grudy noted that there was meaningful momentum in March and April after Omicron headwinds in the beginning of the year. He also said that the company's urban located Shake Shacks grew 19% with same store sales over last year. New York City also saw a meaningful bounce back due to tourism. The company also said it took price in March and said it's about 6 to 7% higher in terms of menu prices over the last year, but that does not include delivery premiums, which we all know are getting more and more expensive. Back over to you. All right, Kate Rogers, Kate, thank you very much. All right, let's trade Shake Shack. Tim, go to you. I mean, Kate mentioned down 60% in, in four months. The stock has lost half its value from its pandemic high. But, you know, you wonder about a name like this and you think, is the market almost repricing stocks like this to just where they were before the pandemic and kind of go back to the way we were when when all you could do was order fast food? But it's not the same company. And I think there's a sigh of relief here, both in terms of, uh, again, the reopening element of the places. Truly, this is a reopening trade. And so um, we should be looking at, at New York City and the urban centers where it really is where Shake Shack not only has their stronghold, but where they have the pricing power that Randy Garuda, who's a friend of the show, has been on, has talked about this business for years. They are continuing to grow. They are continuing to have higher margin and more pricing power. But I'm very concerned about their labor costs and their input costs. And I think, you know, they're going to be the ones where I think uh, that kind of guidance from here on out for the next couple quarters are going to be the difference maker. Stock, you know, down, as as noted, down 49 percent over a year. Uh, You started to put in possibly a bit of a bottom here. Uh, Although, again, I think today was a little bit more of a relief than a chance to say it's game back on. Guy, your take on the shack. Listen, restaurant margins came in, I think, almost 230 basis points better, despite the fact that, you know, some of their costs were up almost 300 basis points. So good for them for running their businesses more efficiently. I guess bad for them on the margins missing same store sales uh, incrementally. Not not a big deal. Just, you know, it's a small miss there. It comes down to valuation. And to your earlier point, Brian, are things just getting back to where they were pre-pandemic? I don't think this thing does. And when I say this thing, I mean Shake Shack. I think that was a $40 stock pre-pandemic. I don't think it gets there, but I do think it probably trades into the high 40s, low 50s. So I think you sort of stay on the sidelines until then. Yeah, it was $128 stock less than one year ago. Wow. All right. Block, formerly known as Square, earnings also out after the bell today. That stock jumping after hours as well, despite reporting a miss. 
both the top and bottom lines. That earnings call also just getting underway moments ago. Kate Rooney is here to break down those results. How did it look at Block? Kate. Yeah, Brian, well, the call is telling us a lot. The stock just popped after Block CFO Amrita Huja gave some updated numbers for April. She says the cash app is accelerating. She says there was 15% growth in April, also seeing double-digit growth for the Square seller business and overall payments volumes. So some good numbers for April. It looks like the stock's up more than 10% at this point. And Block's cash app, that is the consumer and payments banking app uh, for Block. Usually it's a higher growth area, especially during the pandemic. But in Q1, the seller business actually grew a little bit faster with gross profit jumping 41% versus 26% for cash app. I talked to Amrita Huja Block CFO after the numbers came out. I asked her about inflation. That's the big question for a lot of these payments companies. And if it's weighing on the consumer, she says Block is seeing strong growth across both discretionary and non-discretionary spending. On the call, she reiterated that. She said they're not seeing a deterioration in overall consumer spending. So different from what PayPal said last week, she said they will continue to watch the broader macro environment. For the cash app, they talked about the cash card being some of the fastest growing areas and uh, teens also adding to some of that growth. Jack Dorsey, of course, talking about Bitcoin on the call as well. Block's revenue miss was in part because of lower Bitcoin trading volume, but gross profit for Bitcoin is only about 3% of that total. So not really a more profitable side of the business, uh, but one that Jack Dorsey talks about a lot on the the earnings calls. Back to you, though, Brian. All right, Kate Rooney, thank you very much. I mean, Bonwin, what a weird, I mean, Block sort of accentuates this market. It fell 10% today. It's up 10% after hours, so it's kind of a bizarre move. But does Block matter to the macro markets, or is it its own thing? Um, oh, I think it matters. I mean, it's got exposure to this SME segment, and I think it cuts both ways. You have the exposure to the reopening play, but if we start to see cracks, you are exposed to like that middle or, or lower level market. So, you know, you, you, you kind of have to weigh that with both hands. I do think the market also is um, a bit bullish on this afterpay acquisition, and it's probably looking forward a bit there. I do remember one time when anything that was like roughly correlated to the cloud or blockchain or DeFi was, you know, multiples were expanding um, at at a pretty rapid rate, you know, it's, it's, uh, you juxtapose that to now where that's long behind us. But I think part of it is also timing. They have not made that full transition to having a meaningful amount of their, their bottom line contributed from uh, blockchain related or coin, ba- uh, sorry, um, uh, coin related transactions. And because of that, I think that the, the pullback we've seen in those spaces hasn't affected it the way it has affected some of its peers. Bonwin, thank you very much. All right, on deck. It was not all bad today. A lot of the energy names were in the green, but not all oil and gas stocks are created equal. Mike Bradley of Veritas will be up with some names he likes in this market. Also, another name saying what sell-off was Albemarle, maybe the oil of the electric car movement. They're a lithium miner. We're going to get trades on both coming up when Fast Money returns. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. If you are just catching up on the markets today, it was another rough one. The Dow down more than 1,000 points. The S&P 500 losing 3.5%. The big tech taking it even harder. NASDAQ down 5%, now hitting its lowest level since November of 2020. Well, the energy ETF, the biggest one, the XLE, it did fall a little bit today. But it was up earlier in the session, and it is the only green S&P sector year to date. Now, many energy names breaking new records this week. Commodities as well. Look at natural gas. It's more than doubled this year. 
Diesel prices soaring to new highs. By the way, if you can find diesel here in the Northeast. And lots of names also recently hitting new highs, like Devon Energy, Phillips 66 at ExxonMobil. Let's talk more about it all and bring in Michael Bradley, partner of Energy Market Strategy at Veritim. To talk through this, Veritim, new firm created by Mike and some partners from Tudor Pickering and Holt. Mike, it's great to have you on. Listen, uh, before we get into the individual stock names, I want to talk about oil. Oil was over 110 today. It ended a little bit lower, but it was 111 and change earlier today, even with the coming release, the 160 million barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and the Senate moving one step closer today to allowing the president to sue OPEC for market manipulation. I mean, it all seems like it's adding up to a higher oil price over time. What do you think? Yeah, Brian, I mean, look, it's, it's all about supply and demand, right? And right now, we just don't have the supply. You know, if you look at OPEC, OPEC is basically maxed out. We only have a couple million barrels of spare capacity. And so it's really about demand. How, how far does demand have to go down or how far does price have to go up you know, to hit demand? And we just don't know what that is yet. I mean, we talk about 125, 150, some people up there and $175. We don't know. Demand is going to have to basically be hit. It's going to have to get hit. We're going to see where price goes. That's what's going to determine. But there's there's no reason it can't go higher this year because guess what? You know, we're heading into summer, and that's seasonally a lot stronger period uh, than we've been in the last couple quarters. Yeah, and I think the question that everybody's been asking, Mike, and you've been doing this a long time, my man, is where does that demand destruction kick in? I was in California, well, really yesterday morning, 6 six fifty a gallon, and not by the freeway, by the way. That was pretty much every station in L.A., but there were lines. I mean, there's people pulling in and filling up because they have to. Is there a price point? where demand destruction begins to kick in? Because we were higher in 08, inflation adjusted. Yeah, we just haven't seen it yet. It's not $100, obviously. Uh, is it 125 We don't know. Is it 150 We don't know. We're going to find out, you know, in, in a fairly quick fashion. Like I said, we're going into a seasonally strong period here uh, in summer. We have China that's kind of a, you know, a lot of the uh, of China's off right now. And so when they do come back on, we're just going to have a really, really strong demand. And, and we're just not going to have supply there. So we're going to find out pretty quickly. Hey, Michael, it's Karen Feinerman. Thanks for being on. How do you think the China slowdown fits into this equation um, for where the price of oil would be? And or would they be buying it from Russia, this deep discount? What do you th- how do you think this plays out? Well, like I said, it's going to be we're, we're, we're going on a seasonally strong period here. You know, the Fed is raising rates and really is not doing anything at this point in time. But, you know, one of the things, like I said beforehand, is that, you know, in previous periods, we had supply dictating, uh, you know, what price did. We're just not going to have supply doing at this time around. The U.S. doesn't have a lot of production to bring to market. OPEC's not there, so it's really going to matter what demand does. And I see demand only getting better uh, over the next couple quarters, and so we're going to see prices are heading higher. Any names you like more than others, right here, Mike? Go ahead, and, Brian. Any any names that you like here? Not all oil and gas producers are built the same. Some are hedged. Some are unhedged. Different pricing points, different cost bases. Any oil and gas names you like more than others here? Yeah, John, uh, uh, Brian, we've been saying since the beginning of the year, we like oil services firms because activity is going to be improving, pricing is going to be improving, and earnings are going to be going up dramatically. So you can pick uh, names like you know, Halliburton. You can pick names like Liberty, uh, Helmer and Payne. And the EMP side, you know, stick with some of the larger cap names. We, like, we continue to like Devon. We continue to like Diamondback, Pioneer, Conoco, but there's a half a dozen more names. So go with the names that are delivering the most return of capital. 
most of these companies are delivering between 10 and 15 percent return of capital. Mm. And, and some of these firms over the next three or four years are going to be buying back almost 40 to 50 percent of their market cap. So I, it really doesn't matter. Those are names we like. And on the refining side, we like P, you know, Phillips 66 as well. The PSX, right. So go OFS, Oil Field Services, maybe over ENP Exploration and Production. Mike Bradley, the new firm Veriton. Mike, congrats on the new firm as well. Uh, thanks for joining us. Appreciate that. Tim, all right. So he's saying Oil Field Services. I know Guy has talked about Schlumberger in the past. Your take on what Mike had to say. I'm sorry, Brian. I thought you said Tim. No, I will tell you I'm with him 100%. I don't think we're anywhere close to demand destruction in terms of price. I, I didn't know that the administration is suing OPEC for price manipulation, which is almost laughable. I won't do it on this day. There'll be time for that, I'm sure. But I'll say this, Valero every single day makes an all-time high. PSX still has room on valuation. Marathon Petroleum, MPC, we talked about that name in the fall with Paul Sankey when it was a $60 stock. That still has room. So clearly oil didn't get the memo about fighting inflation. I think it continues to go higher from here. Yeah, there are three ways you're going to make money in, in the oil sector. One is that the weighting in the S&P is, is going to grow. Uh, I mentioned this. I'll mention it every time if I need to. At 4% weighting of the S&P in this environment, uh, when you have the fundamentals so good, it's going to, it's going to at least double back to its 20-year average. Uh, but then what companies are doing, ConocoPhillips, they just announced. I mean, this is, uh, as advertised, I think Wolf Research calls them the best two-way player, which means they're, they're exposed to the higher commodity prices, and yet they're going to return 10% back to, to their shareholders. They actually even grew their, their CapEx uh, 8%, which you know, starts to get you worried if it's old school. It's not what's going on. The sector has totally different capital discipline. This is what Mike referred to. They're buying back shares. That's the third leg of the stool, and I think they are all doing it. Royal Dutch uh, announced this morning. Yeah. Uh, $9.1 billion in profit versus $3.1 a year ago. They're buying back a ton of stock, uh, and I think they're very well positioned in terms of capital discipline. Great point. And Marathon MPC, by the way, raising its cash flow estimates. I believe that was yesterday morning or afternoon. Tim and Guy, thank you. All right, let's stay with the energy trade because shares of Albemarle topping the tape. They mine the oil, if you will, of electric cars. Lithium. Demand for electric cars is strong. And so are earnings. Albemarle also raising guidance. Lithium prices expected to remain elevated and heightened demand for EVs as well. Albemarle, Bonoan, I mean, super bright spot. Is it sustainable? Um, I think so, only because we haven't even begun to scratch the surface in terms of transitioning away from <clears throat> fossil fuel, uh, fossil fuel fueled cars to EVs in a, in a much more ubiquitous way. And one thing that you said, um, uh, one thing that you said prior kind of leads me to here is like whether or not they're fully hedged and whether or not they have some flexibility around their contractual obligations. Well, ALB kind of fits into that niche nicely where they're in a sweet spot in terms of spot prices, but they're able at least to kind of like renegotiate some of their forward contracts to take advantage of the surges that we're seeing in prices. So they're able to kind of like uh, navigate that pretty nimbly. And I think you're seeing it translate into the share price. All right, Bonwin, thank you very much. Albemarle, really, maybe not one of the few bright spots, maybe the brightest spot in the entire market today. All right, we've got an earnings alert right now for you on Zillow. And, of course, the online real estate marketplace, it did beat on both the top and the bottom lines. But look at that, stock down 9%. Investors clearly not impressed with the forward guidance. Uh, Karen, it's, it's not a company. I don't know if you, you – I doubt you own it. 
But it, they've had a lot of problems. I do it, own it. it. Oh, you do? do? Okay, there you go. Um, it's, I will, I, yes. It's been having trouble getting out of its own way, and I'm being polite. <laughs> well, I bought it after they got out of the home buying business, which I thought was a, just an absolute disaster, a very capital-intensive business. And they realized we made a mistake and we're getting out of it. And so the rest of the business, the IMT, which is, you know, the Zillow website that we all know and the information, and then they have the premier agent business. That part of the business was actually fine in the quarter, as they said. However, the guidance for the second quarter, which is historically a very good quarter, uh, is lower. So that's disappointing. But even more important than that is sort of the proxy that it is for the housing market in general. So if they have less traffic to that site, tells you the housing market is cooling a little bit. I think it's still a great business. They announced they, they finished their buyback. They're doing another buyback. So I like the new asset light business, but clearly it's just trading with sentiment to the extent it's a, you know, technology yeah. firm, which it really is at this point, technology and broker um, uh, sort of sharing broker revenue. But uh, then, you know, those stocks aren't trading well. I do like it, though. And, you know, along it's been painful for sure. Yeah. I mean, listen, guy, everybody wants to call themselves a technology company. I have a website. I'm a technology anchor, I suppose. But Zillow, I mean, 5.2 percent for the 30 year Fannie Mae average fixed rate mortgage. I mean, you look at house, home sales going forward. It's hard to be that optimistic. Affordability, obviously, a huge concern. We talked about it last night or two nights ago on the show. Tim mentioned 30-year rates. You just brought it up as well. I mean, these are not tailwinds now for Zillow. Karen mentioned a buyback. I think, and don't at me if I'm wrong, please, but I think they authorized another billion dollars in a buyback, which is not insignificant of a company their size. I think that's about 10% or so of the market cap. So that's interesting, but it's just the stock doesn't trade well, and I think it continues sort of to grind lower here. Home builders, on the other hand, Pulte Homes, for example, down to levels where it might be worth taking a look. Yeah. So a lot of this has been taken out of these names. You know, home builders for a trade here might be really interesting, Brian. I got to tell you, going to the Milken Conference, Guy, we talked to Scott Miner, we talked to Elizabeth Burton of Hawaii, we talked to Jace Albee of Texas Retirement. All three said they liked home builders. So a little optimism in agreeing with the great Guy Adami. All right, another earnings alert. And even with the markets getting rocked, apparently... Many of you just want to keep rocking in the free world. Live Nation posting a mixed quarter, but saying the demand for tickets and concerts is soaring. Revenue, though, did come in a little bit lower than expected. Karen, you own this one, too. A true, a true consumer yes. play. True, a true consumer. You can't have a more reopened play than this one. This is right up your alley, Brian. Even though the revenue appeared a little bit light, if you go through the sections of the revenue, concerts was a little bit light. Sponsorship, which is a much higher margin, was up very nicely. And tickets, which also have a much higher margin, were also up nicely. So that's the kind of mixed shift that you really want. This is a fantastic company. They're just in such an extraordinary position. They control so many venues. Ticketmaster business is amazing. And I'm sure I know how much you love music. You're probably going to be out and about a lot. My kids are going to festivals all the time. The growth, I think they said 44% over 2019, which is extraordinary. It's a great business. Not cheap, but no. it, it's, there's nothing like it. No, the, Tim, but the, the, well, there's nothing like it because it's kind of its own thing, right, Tim? I mean, I'm not going to use the M word, right, because regulators don't like it, and it rhymes with <laughs> opoly, but they're pretty darn big. <laughs> 
They, they, they are, and they can squeeze anybody they want, and, and artists know it too. So in a world where artists have actually had the ability to go straight to market, they really can't, and, and uh, we'll save that for another show. I, the, the other dynamic here is their ability to price, and that, that comes with also that kind of control. The VIP packages, the merch, um, they are there, and, and I think the overshoot to the upside in terms of demand, like I, I could be down to my last cent, and I will find a way to go see The Who with you at Madison Square Garden before Memorial Day, Guy. Yeah. Don't don't talk about what I paid for those tickets either, by the way. And by, right to Live Nation's bottom line, they're welcome. But could they squeeze? Squeeze. All right, coming up, we're talking Apple and some good news. One options trader betting the worst may be over. The details on that next. Plus, more in today's market hit. But there's always value somewhere. Coming up, the traders are going to give us stocks that they're keeping their eye on. It is the watch list, and you'll see it, but only if you stick around. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Look at shares of Apple. They were not immune to the sell-off today, down nearly 6%. NASDAQ closing out its worst day since June of 2020. Been a hard-hit time for tech stocks. And it is options traders betting that maybe, just maybe, the worst is over. And they're betting that the bottom may be in for Apple, at least now. Mike Coe joining us now with the options action. What are we seeing with Apple options, Mike, that may signal better times ahead? Uh, when you see big volatility, you see big volumes. Apple is always one of the busiest single stock options that we see. And today it traded one and a half times its average daily call volume, over a million call contracts traded in total. Now, much of the activity that we are seeing expires tomorrow. But if we look out just one week, the most active contracts were the weekly 165 calls that expire a week from tomorrow. We saw over 43,500 of those trading for a little over $1.38 a contract. Buyers of those calls are obviously making a low premium bet that perhaps the worst could be in and that the stock could rebound a bit by next week. But of course, a lot of times you may just be playing for a bear market rally. And sometimes those can be sharper than the ones that we see in a conventional market. Well said, Mike Coe. Thank you very much. I mean, Bono, if you had to read the tea leaves on Apple, would you say it's just like a little bear market rally or maybe a real reversal? No, if anything, it would be more of a bear market rally, but I don't even really think it's about that. I think it's really, as Karen said, a flight to quality. If we are going to get a bounce, and that is a big if, it will likely be in a name like that that tends to hold strong regardless of market conditions. Yeah, Tim, like, like an Apple, which I don't want to say is a cash equivalent, but if you're looking at a company with no prospects of going out of business anytime soon, a safety play, Apple's got to be near the top of somebody's list. 
Well, one of the things Apple did in their last earnings re release that was heartening to investors is they confirmed what we kind of expected them to do is 90 billion in buybacks. So between what they can do in terms of the buybacks, what they can do in terms of the div, what they can actually do in terms of issuing debt and cash up, even in a higher rate environment, I don't think they're going to, but they have done that in the past. What they're doing on the capital market side of their business is what gives it such a safety play. All right, Tim, thank you very much. All right, for more options action, of course, as always, be sure to tune into the full show. That is every Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be on tomorrow. Coming up, after today's carnage, we are getting the stocks that each trader is watching. Their watch list and the names when we return. We're back in two minutes. All right, well, over the course of the hour, we've been talking a lot about the pain that has been inflicted on the markets. And, and you, by the way. But remember, remember this. You want to buy low and hopefully sell high. So lower prices can be a good thing for longer-term investors. You want to buy at a discount. So we want to know, what is on our traders' watch list? At the right price, and that's key, the right price. What is the one name they would be targeting right now? Karen, your name is an interesting one. It is not yeah. a name we talk about much. The University of Rhode Island. Yeah, that's it. That is the name. Also known as United Rentals. I don't know if you can see that. URI. So United Rentals, they reported earnings last week. Right. URI. They reported earnings last week and their earnings were fantastic. I have never heard them so bullish and I've been following the company for years. And this isn't some, you know, the revenue stream here isn't one that turns on and off really quickly. It's not like sentiment changes so dramatically and the business dries up. It takes a lot longer to happen. Also, the other thing, this stock... This company, actually, is at the lowest debt-to-EBITDA ratio I've seen it in years. So I love that the balance sheet's in good shape. Trades at 10 times earnings. We haven't even yet seen the infrastructure bill, which is already happening in terms that it's getting, it's getting, it's getting paid for. Mm -hmm. The projects haven't happened yet. That's a 2023 issue. So there's a lot to love here except for this market. And at 10 times earnings, I mean, they themselves bought back $262 million worth of stock at probably about 323 during the first quarter even during Omicron. So this is a name that if I own no stocks and I just came into the market today, I would start here right at 300, or I don't know where it went out exactly, 301, 10 times earnings, great company, good balance sheet. All right. Love the space. They're the number one player. You are I. Karen, thank you. All right, Bonowin, your watch list. You're on the clock. What are you watching? All right. Can you see that? Just, just do, do it, it, but at the right but at price. At the right price. Nike. So I'll tell you at what level I'm willing to lace them up. So when I'm looking at Nike, I'm looking at a name that hits on all the things that I'm worried about right now. Exposure to China, check mark. Uh, multinational dollar exposure, check. Supply constraints, check. Consumer, check. So I'm looking at this, if it gets to like a 23 times this, which would be a significant discount for PE, that brings you back to that pre-pandemic level around 97 and a half, $98, $99. And I think I'd be backing up the truck around then. That reads through to all the things that make me uh, have sleepless nights worried about this market. Bonowin, choosing Nike. Thank you. All right, Tim, you're up. Your watch list pick is? Yes. I, like, I like what he did there. Um, my, my watch list pick is Apple um, at 125 there, Brian. And, and again, Apple is my call. That's a market proxy as much as anything. For, I need to see Apple at 125 
before I can even feel that the market's gone where it needs to go. Remember, uh, Apple is roughly 25 times earnings. Another 20% lower um, brings you to that 20 multiple at 125. Remember, this is, this is the level the stock was at in August of 2020. This was the level the stock was at one year ago before it broke higher. This equates to about 3,800 on the S&P, and we know the weighting wow. of Apple. So um, to me, partially this is a call on Apple. Partially this is a call uh, on the overall market. I, I, you know, I don't think markets find their place until Apple finally takes out key levels and gets back to a level that I think it's built this uh, enormous run. And, and at 20 times, the company makes a lot more sense than it did at 30. You're calling for a $31 drop in the price of Apple after already being routed, Tim Apple. Yeah, well, guess what? You know, look at what other mega cap tech stocks have done, and Apple is due to do the same thing. And this is, again, this is, this is a one-third retracement off of a massive rally. Remember, this was an $80 stock pre-COVID, and with a lot of good news. You can't <coughs> tell me we haven't pulled forward enormous demand uh, in terms yeah. of Apple products. I'm waiting for that. Remember, last earnings, we heard a little bit about the services demand fall. Um, I need to hear about hardware, and we didn't hear a lot yeah. yet. It's been mostly a supply story with Apple. All right, Guy Adami, round us out on the watch list. Quick, Your name is? Real quickly, Microsoft 260. That would be the prior high back this time last year. Reasonable valuation. I'm not suggesting it gets there. I think Microsoft, the most important company on the planet. I think if, in fact, it does get there, you buy it with both hands, Brian. All right, there we go. United Rentals, Nike, Apple, and Microsoft. Up next, more picks. Your final trades. Stick around. And I will see you at 8 o'clock tonight. All right, right now, though, fine for the final trades. Tim, kick it off. Let's go Conoco Phillips again. These EMP names traded about nine and a half times a major discount to where they shared Conoco 10 and a half. COP. Bonwin. SOXS. If you want to trade it, trade it, but I don't think it's a way to express your view long term. Karen. Yeah, you know what? It got absolutely obliterated yesterday was lift off those very disappointing earnings, and yet today it was up. I think this three-day rule is now in effect. I bought some at the close. Guy? Stay in energy, Philip 66. Thank you all very much. Thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you at 8. Mad Money with Jim starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.